0: Well, while we were on vacation last week, we're, we were able to spend time with our family, including all six of our grandchildren. We don't get to see them all together very often. And we shared three pounds of fresh cheese curds together, and Beth gave me some cherry brats for Father's Day, which we just had this week. We also attended a community festival complete with face painting and food vendors and artisan crafts. And as Beth and I walked around, we noticed a booth promoting a church. And so I went up to the volunteers and I was immediately offered free coffee and cherry coffee cake. I declined because I had eaten too many cheese curds. (laughs) But when I saw these church members at a community festival boldly putting up the name of their church, I wanted to go up and encourage them for living on mission in their community, but I didn't know much about their denomination, so the first thing I did is I asked a simple question. I said, what does your church believe? A man quickly stood up, and he handed me a brochure, and he answered this way. We're just middle of the road. We're a bit like Presbyterian, Lutheran, and Methodist, only we're different. So I I waited for more. I'm like leaning forward, but more never came. He was done talking. It's the only message that he apparently was prepared to give. Oh, I was offered free coffee and cherry coffee cake one more time, but I just walked away. And as I walked away, I wondered why these church members didn't have more to say about the gospel or more even about their distinctives doctrinally, what their church believed. And I was surprised I wasn't even invited to their church services. They offered coffee but no communication about conversion. I mean, their message was muddled. Later, I read the brochure I was handed, and I discovered that they're the oldest congregation in the community, and they're proud of their picturesque building. It made me wonder if they're more interested in their past than they are in reaching people in the present. This week, Gallup reported that belief in God in our country has dipped to 81%, the lowest ever recorded. Well, you can see for many years up by 98%. And then high 90s, in 2017, it dipped to 87%, and in 2022, 81%. And I just thought, why is that? Now, could it be the church in general is not acting like the church? Or have we lost our message? Or even more, have we grown lukewarm? And so during our summer series we're calling RE, we're defining key biblical terms and concepts, which begin with the letters RE, and we're doing that to keep the gospel message fresh in our own lives. Our topic today is repent. Yikes. (laughs) Some of you are looking for the exits. (laughs) Now, this is a word you generally aren't going to hear at a community festival. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you don't hear it talked about much in church either. See, repentance gets a bad rap in our culture and in the church. But friends, listen, we must come back to its central importance. All the prophets preached it in one form or another Uh, check out what John the Baptist said in Matthew three verse two repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand the very first sermon of Jesus recorded in Mark one fifteen, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Later, Jesus sent out his disciples on a short-term mission trip, and this is what we read in Mark 6, verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed, what did they proclaim? That people should repent. In Luke's version of the Great Commission, recorded at the end of Luke chapter 24, verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist preached that repentance must affect our behavior, how we live. John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance in a similar way the apostle paul proclaimed these words in acts 26:20 20. he said this that they should repent and turn to god performing deeds in keeping with their repentance i'm reminded of jack the painter Jack often watered down his paint to make it go further. Well, a church wanted to have their building painted. Jack gave the lowest bid. And so on the day he was to paint the building, he climbed up on the scaffolding and thinned his paint. When the job was almost finished, the skies turned dark and a tremendous downpour just gushed from the skies, washing off all the thin paint and knocking Jack to the ground. He quickly got up to his knees and he cried out, Oh God, forgive me, what should I do? In reply, he heard these thunderous words, Repaint! (laughs) Repaint! And thin no more. (laughs) Yeah, that went over better than I thought it was going to. Stephen Cole defines repentance as a change of mind that results in a change of one's entire life. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before by doing so no more. One girl in Sunday school put it like this. Repentance means feeling sorry enough to quit. Charles Stanley adds, regret, grief, and remorse accompany repentance, but are not evidence of it if there is no change in behavior. Well, at its core, repentance is a change of mind which leads to a change of heart, resulting in a change in behavior. Repentance is a decisive change in direction. You're going this way and you turn and you go in another direction. One pastor says it like this, true repentance affects the way I live. If it doesn't affect the way I live, it's not true repentance. Now, let me see if I can bring all of that together in one sentence. Repentance means turning from sin to the Savior, resulting in a change of attitude, affection, what we love, and action. Now, it's way too easy and unfair for me to critique another church that I happen to come across while I'm on vacation, but I thought it'd be helpful for us to look at what Jesus had to say to a church. It's recorded in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. If you remember from our series on the book of Acts, the apostle Paul spent two and a half to three years preaching and teaching in the city of Ephesus. And the truth that church grew under his leadership, and that church influenced most of Asia. Here's what we're going to discover, is that repentance is a requirement for every church. for every individual in order to honor God's word I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 2 1 through 7 together I'll put it up on the screen we like to remind ourselves that this is no ordinary book right? this book is alive it's active it's inspired, it's inerrant it's authoritative we come under its teaching Isaiah says, the one that God looks to is the one who trembles at my word. And so what we're about to do here now is like a supreme act of worship. We're going to read God's word corporately together, coming under its authority. Oh, and before we read it, these are the words of Jesus given to a church. Let's read together I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thanks for reading. You can be seated. So in these two chapters, Revelation chapter 2 through chapter 3, Jesus peers into the pews, if you will, commending and critiquing seven actual historical churches located in the country that we now know today as Turkey, or back then known as Asia. And you can see Ephesus, bottom left, the church that Paul spent two and a half to three years at, teaching, preaching, equipping, and the six other churches, a message from Jesus recorded in Revelation 2, verse 3. By the way, one of our young adults is responding to God's call to minister in this Part of the world, and she just got back. I just talked to her. She was there uh, kind of on an investigative trip and getting acclimated to where God is calling her. Now, these chapters, chapters two and three, would make for a fascinating seven-part sermon series, but for our purpose today, we're going to look at his message to Ephesus, to Edgewood, and to us as individuals. I see five major points in Jesus' sermon. The first one is consecration. The book of Revelation paints an exalted picture of the crucified, resurrected, reigning, and coming again Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. There is such a high picture of Jesus presented in this book. Very important because God's people were going through persecution at the time. So when you're persecuted, you're going through problems. You need to see Jesus as the one who's reigning, as the one who is in charge. And as we begin today, let's make sure that we have consecrated ourselves, that we're surrendered to him. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, which is very dangerous in a church to ask you to close your eyes. But I want you to close your eyes because I'm going to read from the first chapter of the book of Revelation. And I want you to just, as you hear these words, think of this exalted picture of Jesus Christ, as the Apostle John writes. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You can open your eyes. If you haven't read Revelation chapter four and five recently, I commend that to you of the scene around the throne. I read that again this morning. Friends, the place to start for all of us is to make sure that we are consecrated, that we are surrendered, that we are all in to the resurrected and reigning Christ. Because he now is about to call us to hear and heed his word. Look, next verse, to the angel of the church in Ephesus Right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Seven stars are seven angels, angels of churches. Some commentators believe that's symbolic of the leaders of those churches. The lampstands, Are the seven churches themselves? So we see Jesus as powerful. He's holding seven stars, and he's personal because he walks among the seven churches. The picture here is of the high priest walking through the temple as he cleans, refills, and relights the lamps on the lampstand. Friend, the resurrected Christ is right here walking among Edgewood and walking with us and among us as we live, work, and play. That is both comforting and convicting because he knows how we're living. He knows what we're doing, what we're saying. He knows all about that. And so let me just ask you, are you consecrated? Are you surrendered to him? The second point in the sermon of Jesus is commendation. This is the good part of the sermon. He commends the church of Ephesus. The Savior celebrated their serving. Notice he says, I know your works. He sees how you are serving, and he commends you for that. Now, you may think your ministry doesn't matter, that no one else notices, that nobody else understands what you're doing. Friends, you can have confidence that Jesus knows. 2 Timothy 2.19 says the Lord knows those who are him. He knows who belongs to him, and he celebrates what we do for him. Now, maybe you're thinking, man, I'm not really serving Listen, a Christian who doesn't serve is a contradiction in terms. And so if you're not serving, you need to find a place to serve. Let me make two suggestions. One would be to serve in the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. That's our ministry that meets on Friday nights. Are you aware we serve a full meal every Friday night? That takes a lot of people to help. And maybe you're like, oh, I can't make a meal, but maybe you could help serve the meal. Another place to serve would be in our nursery and preschool ministry. God has been bringing a number of young families to Edgewood, and we have a lot of young kids, and we're searching and looking for servants. Jesus celebrates their serving. Notice next, he celebrates their sacrifices. The word toil refers to fatigue. It refers to weariness and Exhaustion. Of serving so hard that it kind of wipes you out. Man, there's so many ways I see people serving. And, and one area that I see people serving sacrificially is many of us are still giving to our Grow Time initiative, which is our initiative that uh, helped. Pay for our our expansion and renovation of our facility. And uh, those of you who are still giving to that to help pay off our mortgage, thank you so much. If you're searching for a way to give, uh, I encourage you to pray about that. Because the sooner we care for that, the sooner we'll free up more resources for expanded kingdom impact. Thirdly, Jesus says, I see you're steadfast. See the phrase, patient endurance? Look at verse 3. He spells it out. I know you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Well, not only that, Jesus says, I see you living a separated life. I see you caring for doctrinal precision. I see you as a church, not only bearing up under challenges, but you're not bearing with those who are evil. You've tested those, verse 2, who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. They didn't put up with false doctrine or with false teachers. Jesus is like, way to go. I commend you for that. Notice verse 6, they're commended for hating the works of the Nicolaitans. Well, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, the Nicolaitans had worked out a compromise, a compromise with pagan beliefs that allowed them liberty to practice idolatry and immorality. Oh, would you note that the Ephesians hated their practices, not the people themselves? Oh, that's a good word for us, isn't it? With what's roiling in our culture, it's so easy to, to just be so like grossed out and, and 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 angry, and like what's happening that we lash out at people made in the image of God who matter to God and who need Jesus Christ, who need the gospel. And they were able to hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, the practices of the Nicolaitans, and not hating the people themselves. They stayed committed to the word while combating the world, remaining doctrinally pure without capitulating to the culture. So Jesus looks at this church and he's like, these are the good things that I see. They're commended for many things. And like Edgewood, they had a lot of good things going on. Uh, But Jesus had a chilling condemnation. Listen to verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I wrote down a question. It was very unsettling. Could it be that Jesus has something against Edgewood? Well, well, there's a lot of sacrificing and serving and steadfastness and separation here, but, but maybe we're missing something. You see, our doctrine can be precise while our devotion could be without passion. And then I wrote down this question. I wonder what he has against each of us individually. That's even hard to contemplate because we know from Romans 8, verse 1, Skylar, you and I were talking about that. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus But it made me wonder, if Jesus is speaking this word of condemnation to a church, what is it in my life that I need to turn from? See, our biggest problem is not what's happening in our culture. Our biggest problem is what's happening in our own hearts. In Revelation 2.14, Jesus pronounced these disturbing words to the church at Pergamum, Check this out, verse 14 of chapter 2. He says this, but I have a few things against you. In Ephesus, he's like, I got one thing against you, Pergamum, I got a few things. Oh, notice the article the before the word love So he's not referring to some emotional, syrupy kind of sentimentality. No, the word here for love is agape. It's God's love. It's unconditional love. They had love at the beginning, but they had drifted and backslidden. They labored, but it was not out of love for God or for others. Friends, if love is not the basis for our serving or sacrificing, 1 Corinthians 13.3 says it is worthless. If I give away all I have, even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain what? Nothing. A church which which seemed to have everything was missing the main thing. Listen again to the words of Jesus, Mark 12, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Oh, let me just point out, they didn't lose their first love. No, they had left their first love. They left it. The word "abandon" refers to a definite and sad departure. It means to disregard or dismiss. Literally, it means your first love you have left. This word was used of divorce, which is no coincidence since the Bible describes our relationship with Christ like a marriage between a husband and wife. They had left... The love they had at first, the word first means first in rank, in importance. They loved their church. They loved people from the church. They loved their serving. They loved their doctrine. They just didn't love Jesus more than these things. I'm reminded of what Pastor Tim shared on his last weekend standing right here. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Love God and love others. Well, notice now Jesus gives a correction. There's a way back. We're given some specific remedies to recapture the love we have left. Oh, by the way, these are commands not suggestions. The first is to remember. We won't spend much time on this because we took an entire sermon on the importance of remembering earlier this month, but to remember means to put in your mind by recalling or to take what's in the back of your mind and put it right at the front. And we're to remember so that we can recalibrate our lives according to what has just been remembered. This is a present active imperative, which means to be continually mindful of where you have fallen. It's like going back in your mind and going, oh, I used to be a lot closer with Christ. Oh, I used to share my faith with intentionality and urgency. I used to give with joy That's where I was. And this is where I am. The idea here is we're to keep on remembering from where we have fallen. Let me ask a couple questions. Was there a time that you were closer to Christ? Have you allowed some spiritual slippage to take place? Have you compromised your convictions? See, you won't want to change unless you have some holy dissatisfaction with where you are now. And one way that happens is to remember from where we've fallen and go, oh boy, I don't want to stay where I am. This isn't good. This isn't right. So Jesus secondly says, repent. Remember and then repent come back to our definition repentance means turning from sin to the savior resulting in a change of attitude affection and action (laughs) this is an urgent appeal it's in the first aorist active imperative here's the idea change instantly before it's too late turn from the direction you're going right now and go in a different one Now, this urgent call to repent is found throughout the book of Revelation. Let me just draw your attention to a few uh, verses in chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Chapter 3, verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Verse 9 of chapter 3, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Let me read verse 20 because many of us have that verse memorized. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let me just point out those words are written to a church, to a believer who shut the door, who's abandoned his or her first love. And Jesus is like, Believer, open the door of your heart again so that we can have rich fellowship together one more revelation 16:9 they were scorched these are seven bowls of god's wrath being poured out verse 9 they were scorched by the fierce heat they cursed the name of god who had power over these plagues but they did not repent and give him glory Let me encourage you with something. I got this from Tim Challies. No sin is too small to confess. So don't think, ah, it's just a small thing. That's just a white lie. But secondly, no sin is too great to repent from. Thirdly, we need to repent of sin specifically, not just generally. Now, in order to drill down a little deeper and find out some really positive things that happen when we repent, I want to take us to the book of Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 21. This is Peter's sermon. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Oh, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing May come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. To repent and turn back our commands here in Peter's sermon as well. It conveys the idea of this do it today. Do not delay. Now, here are three results. I mean, why wouldn't we want to repent? Number one, release from sins. That phrase blotted out is the idea of our sins being wiped away, erased, expunged from the record of our wrongdoing. Secondly, refreshment from the Spirit. See, the idea behind refreshing is cooling, relief Rest from difficult or burdensome circumstances. One commentator put it like this no repentance, no refreshing. Number three, restoration of sinners. After release and refreshment, God longs to restore sinners. Look at verse 21 whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things. I've been pondering a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. and I saw this quote on Ed Kite's Facebook page. Ed was here last night. And by the way, if you post on Facebook, I'm probably going to see what you're posting, so watch out. But check out what he posted. The church is waiting for the world to become regenerate, while the world is waiting for the church to become regenerate. Repentant. Here's what I wrote down. It's much easier for us to complain about our society than it is for us to be contrite about our own sins. Right. Let's remember how Second Chronicles 7.14 begins. If my people who are called by my name, Okay, we've settled. Who's God talking to? His people. What is God's people called to do? What are we called to do? Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek his face. Turn. Let's repent. Turn from our wicked ways. Oh, it's conditional, comma. Then I will hear from heaven. Forgive Their sin and heal their land. See, when this was written, it referred and applied to Israel as God's people. That's who he's talking about. But the principle applies to us today. Repentance must begin with God's people. We are called to turn from our wicked ways. See, our number one need is to love Jesus with everything we have by turning from those things which have taken the primary place reserved only for him. Now, in order for us to do some business with God, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes once again, and I'm simply going to ask a few questions. I'm asking these of myself as well. You focus on the question. You don't have to answer it out loud. What is it you, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not somebody else, what is it you need to repent from right now? Have you left your first love? Is there a sin you've been justifying? Are you compromising your convictions? Maybe you've been drinking too much. Maybe you're using other substances. Are you in an adulterous relationship? Right now? Are you involved in a sexual sin? Do you have a judgmental heart? Been gossiping lately? Have you been withholding forgiveness from someone? Or have you put off asking someone to forgive you? Has bitterness hardened your heart? It's going down like a root, and it's affecting you and those around you. Have you allowed a person or a pleasure or a possession to become an idol in your heart? You can open your eyes. There was someone in the service last night who messaged me this morning that last night after the service she reached out to a coworker and confessed to a coworker something she had said to that coworker now if you need help in any of these areas i highly recommend celebrate recovery Celebrate Recovery is our Christ-centered salvation and sanctification ministry. CR is celebrating 20 years of bringing hope and healing for those struggling with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. How many of you are a part of Celebrate Recovery? Yeah, amen. Celebrate Recovery meets on Friday nights at 6 p.m. Uh, we meet for dinner, worship, testimony, teaching, and open share group time. And Mike, I just want to give you a public shout-out. Mike Russell has been a running point, kind of keeping the team together. There's a team of leaders at Celebrate Recovery uh, while Pastor Dan is recovering. Thanks a lot, Mike. Let's just give Mike a hand for that. All right, let's head back to Revelation 2. We've learned we must remember and repent. There's a third imperative, repeat. (laughs) It's found in the middle phrase of verse 5, and do the works you did at first. So to do the works means to produce action. The word works refers to laboring. While it's easy to become a Christian, we're not saved by our works. It takes labor to live like one, doesn't it? We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to work. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me make sure we see this. We're not told to go back and feel the feelings we used to feel. And what are we told? Do the works you used to to do. Well, what are the works? Well, go back and practice the spiritual disciplines of being in God's word every day and cultivating your prayer life and fellowshipping with God's people and sharing your faith with others. Go back and practice the spiritual disciplines you used to do so you can grow again. In Revelation 3, 2, Jesus speaks to the church at Sardis with urgency. He says this, Wake up, church, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete you got more to do, Jesus said. I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Titus 2.14 challenges us to be zealous for good works. Well, One way to kind of do a quick inventory is to use our four G's personally. Am I gathering with God's people? Am I growing? Am I giving what God wants me to give? And am I going with the gospel? And listen, don't do these things because you have to. No, do them because you want to love him more. Notice, finally, remove. Verse 5 ends, If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus is saying, remember, repent, repeat, uh, or I'm going to come upon you suddenly and remove your witness. And when he comes, it will be swift and sure. The word remove means to cause to go, to move from a place. Their lack of love was so serious, it threatened the very existence of their church. Someone said it like this, a church that loses its love will undoubtedly lose its light. And the lampstand reminds us of our role as lights in a dark world. Some of you are grieving because you've been part of a church that closed. I find it sad in any community to see church buildings vacant or turned into museums or shops. A 2021 study from LifeWay Research, based on data from three dozen denominations, found that 4,500 churches closed in 2019. That's compared with 3,700 in 2014, and only 3,000 were started. And that's why we celebrate new church plants in our community. Rock Island Bible Church this weekend is celebrating four years of gospel ministry here in Rock Island. Gospel Community Church in Rock Island started just this year. I'm friends with Caleb and try to encourage him. In addition, the 2021 Faith Communities Today study found the median worship attendance for churches in the U.S. dropped from 137 people attending to 65 people over the past two decades. Now, sadly, the light went out for the Ephesian church because they left their first love. Tragically, their legacy is now left to archaeologists to discover. There's no church there, it's gone. In the second century, Ignatius said this about the Ephesian church. They repented for a while, but were then lost to Mohammedanism, that's Islam. In that area of Turkey today, where those seven churches were, Muslims make up 98% of the population. Now, it didn't seem like the church at the community festival had much of a message But mark this, the same thing could happen to Edgewood if we're not vigilant and if we're not diligent finally cultivation when jesus urged the ephesian church to repent he also personalized the message for individuals so we need to pray for revival in our country and in our church but we must first be revived ourselves notice how jesus ends in revelation chapter 2 verse 6 verse 7 he who has an ear let him hear he's like listen up to the one who conquers i'll grant to eat of the tree of life which is the paradise of God, Notice the words he, him, and the one. Now he's talking to individuals. Uh, now he's talking to you and to me. See, there was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden, but when Adam and Eve sinned, paradise was lost. But there's another tree at Calvary. And it opens the door to paradise. The thief on the cross entered paradise. Why? Because he repented and received Christ at the last minute. Ponder these words from J.C. Ryle. They go like this. True repentance is no light matter. It is a thorough change of heart about sin, a change showing itself in godly sorrow and humiliation, in heartfelt confession before the throne of grace, in a complete breaking off from sinful habits, and an abiding hatred of all sin. Such repentance is the inseparable companion of saving faith in Christ. I met with someone this week and I felt led to ask a very bold question. Here's the question. I want to ask you the same question. So here's the question. Have you repented and received Christ? See, if you haven't, the Bible's very clear that you will spend eternity in a hot place called hell. You're like, well, that's strong. Jesus said, Luke thirteen three, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I wonder today if you're ready to repent and receive Christ so that you can be released from the record of your sins. And only then will you find the refreshment you are searching for and experience the restoration that God alone can bring to your life. Would you close your eyes and pray this along with me? If you're already a believer, uh, this would be a great time for you to repent and get back to your first love. But if you don't know Jesus yet, pray this prayer with me. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I deserve your just judgment. I repent. I repent from trying to follow my own way and now I turn to you, Jesus, as the only way. Jesus, you died in my place on the cross and you rose again on the third day conquering death and the devil and my own depravity. I now receive you into my life. Save me from my sins and from your righteous and holy wrath. I want to be born again, so I place all my trust in you and you alone. And if there's anything in my life that you don't like, please get rid of it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who is both Lord and Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I would love to chat with you after the service. I'm going to invite you to stand and I want to read a benediction over you found in the very next book to the left, the book before the book of Revelation, the book of Jude. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said Amen. amen. Have a good rest of the day.